With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa Pork Farmer. Thank you to the Iowa Pork Consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, exile brewing, E-X-I-L-E, for me. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace going to talk about something that could have, uh, gosh, tectonic shift uh, abilities, if you will, implications for the future of NCAA athletics. Steve, because we don't want to talk about Iowa basketball. They just got buried by Penn State. They scored, what, 58 points, and they scored 57 in the second half against Minnesota the other night. So same as it ever was. Um, Steve, a, a proposal being bandied about this past week. I think it was a something that originated from the Big 12 Conference. Iowa State and Baylor, yes. Yes, uh, Iowa State uh, originating a um, transfer uh, proposal. Let's see what it is here. Athletes would be allowed to transfer schools without restriction if their coach were fired or left for another job. And I think on the whole, I don't really have a problem with that from the standpoint of you know, a lot of purists or, you know, people that are just waving their own flags want to say, well, players commit to schools. They don't commit to coaches. But you and I know that's garbage. That's not the real world. In the real world, players, by and large, in my in my opinion, commit to coaches. I think if, if the school was a dump, um, you know, it certainly enters into it. But these coaches are basically getting paid a lot of money to win games. And to win games, you recruit athletes and or you develop them. So I don't have a problem with that if, since the coaches are free to move. Uh, unimpeded, and they're making all this buyout money. I think this is uh, a bone that you can throw the, uh, the the athletes with regards to not wanting to open the Pandora's box of revenue sharing. Well, I always go back to the line Nick Collison told me when he was at Kansas and Roy Williams flirted with North Carolina the first time when he did not go. And Nick Collison said, hey, when they wanted me to go play basketball at Kansas, they didn't send the provost. Okay, so I've, I've, I've often thought about that in these situations. But to put this conversation in context, we should mention Iowa State and Baylor offered this proposal as an alternative 
to something that was tabled for next year's NCA convention that was st- that was study tabled at this year's NCA convention which was going to permit underclassmen because we already had the grad transfer rule you had Ryan Boyle former recruit for Iowa quarterback play, you know, backup quarterback got his got his degree as a redshirt sophomore so he's going to transfer somewhere immediately and have two years of eligibility well now um there was a proposal that was study tabled at the convention earlier in January that said underclassmen that had a grade point average of 2.6 or higher would be allowed a one-time unconditional transfer in their undergrad years Mm -hmm. that would allow them to be immediately eligible. And so when, when that was first floated, that's when, that's what I think prompted Iowa state and Baylor uh, on, on behalf of the Big 12 to put forth this sort of amended version of that. Now, my, my, my curiosity before we get into why this conversation is taking place and what the, it, what the impact and outcome of it might be, what are your thoughts on the original study table proposal? Yeah. If you have a 2.6 or higher, you can transfer once, anytime you want, wherever you want, and be immediately eligible. Anarchy. That would that would create um, that would create just amazing anarchy. You talk about what took place at Louisville with Rick Pitino, and not just Louisville, but other colleges and university with the you know the uh, the shoe money scandal that you know happened this fall, and the FBI getting involved, and the corruption and the fraud that they unearthed. I think you're talking about a much more favorable environment for that to happen. I think, you know, tampering is a term that, you know, gets tossed around a few times every year that somebody's going to transfer to a school and, and they have to sit out that year, mind you, right now. I remember Marcella Somerville at Iowa. Um, Iowa was really concerned with tampering at that point in time by the Bradley coaches. And they believed that there absolutely was tampering that took place with Marcella Somerville's transfer back to Bradley. If you have an unfettered and unrestricted one-time transfer anywhere without sitting out system, I think that would lead to absolute anarchy, and I was not for it at all. What about you? Um, I think that would be going too far. But I, I think this is one of those situations that um, – they have to do something. We are one lawsuit away from in federal court. And I, that's why I think that's, that's why I thought all along those old miss players, including Shea Patterson, who's transferring into the big 10. That's why I thought all along, they will be found eligible. And, and now that you're openly talking about these sorts of proposals, I, I don't know on what – if you're openly talking about amending the transfer rule, then it makes no sense to, to say they have to sit a year if you're already going to go down this road anyway. That old Miss case could have been an example, particularly when the attorney representing those players is the guy that brought old Miss and Hugh Freeze down. We're one federal court decision away from taking the entire scheme – and when I use scheme, I mean that now in a legal sense, not in a derogatory adjective. But so let's say procedure or paradigm, if you prefer that term instead. We're one federal court decision away from the entire paradigm of the letter of intent being ruled um, 
unconstitutional, illegal. Because what you have here, and this is something you and I have faced in our careers working in media, you have a form of a no consideration non-compete. Correct. Now, what do I mean by a no consideration? Meaning it, the idea that I can deny you a right to work if you leave or I fire you and you can't work within a competitive realm at the same time and I don't have to pay you. That's what that's what it means for no consideration. That's what we have here. We've seen non-competes in our industry when people have challenged them. It's just most of the time the people that sign non-competes don't have the income to hire the, the sort of legal representation that can actually you know take this on in federal court and so you just end up abiding by them. What we've seen in recent years is no consideration non-competes in media and entertainment industries and obviously that's where I work, so I follow this stuff closely. These these never hold up to scrutiny. It's almost to the point now that a lot of media companies aren't even signing people to non-competes anymore because they just they they're they've lost so many of the, of those cases if because if I the point of doing a non-compete is I don't want to give you consideration. If I wanted to pay you, I just keep you on staff. Well, right? yeah, let me jump in here real quick. The consideration aspect, as you're bringing up, you're exactly right. That is the key component. But let's just give you this example and why I think that while you're, there may be a lawsuit along the lines of what you're thinking, I think the consideration definition is what would also be up for um, a judge ruling on. Let's say... I have a media company, Steve, and I want to hire you to be my talk show host for it. And I give you a 25000 signing bonus, and I say, hey, this signing bonus, you're, if you agree to take this signing bonus, that means you must also abide by the covenant to not compete. And this signing bonus, in effect, is the consideration that I'm giving you, and you're agreeing right. that, you know what, I'll, I'll take this non-compete for the twenty five grand. That That is a fair and equitable trade to me. In that instance, the non-compete is likely to hold up in court. My question to your example, or my not my objection, but my counter to your example would be, I some might argue, that a three or four hundred thousand dollars scholarship is consideration. It is, except um, if it's one-sided, meaning you have no way out of it. Similar to when the condi- when the conditions of the LOI change, a coach leaves, things of that nature. That a coach can walk away from his contract, or a. A, or a, a, a team can walk away from a coach at any point in time. And therefore, just as you and I would have a situation in our line of work, you know, the boss who hired us, um, we can't, we, we could, we could leave. They cannot. There's no, it's a one way, it, it's, it's a one way restriction. And up until the last two, a couple of years, these were not four year scholarships. Remember that. I mean, for the first 70 years of this process, they were one-year scholarships. They just got that you 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 signed an LOI to to be at a school for four up to five. You have four years of eligibility that you could have five years to complete, and they were a series of renewable one-year scholarships. Who had all the consideration to decide if it was renewed or not? The school, unless you chose to transfer, and if you choose to transfer, then you had to sit out a year, and so. In the current environment we are in, in the current judicial climate we are in, 
in the current political climate we are in, um, I, I think these LOIs would stand up in federal court. Um, let me put it this way. I think they wouldn't, they wouldn't last long enough for you to say Ed O'Bannon. And I think the NCAA recognizes this. Well, and that's because why it, they, yeah, because because if the NCAA really wants to push it, I was going to go a step farther, but I would have been cut off at the knees. I would say that you know if you're not going to give them access or the rights to market their likeness or their exactly. brand, because yeah. they could, they could also say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you not only a four year scholarship, we're also going to give you exposure and build your brand, but we're not going to pay you any money for that. So you can't, you, that would be a proper inclusion, I think, but that would also cut you off, cut off your nose to spite your face. Right. The yeah. only reason, the only, the, the reason the NBA, well, it's now it's the G League. The reason the NBA G League is never taken off. Right, right. We heard for years, there needs to be a league that, that players that don't want to go and be college students to go and, to go and play in. Well, they have that now. It's not its second iteration. Why is it never taken off from popularity? Why do the best players in high school still go at, to one year of college basketball, usually at Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, et cetera? Exposure and well, brand. Because it proves your brand. But the problem with that is at the same time, you're not allowed consideration while you're in college to capitalize on your brand. It's an exceedingly one-way, one-direction arrangement. There's no other way around that. And they know this. That's why they've been doing cost of attendance and everything else. So the NCAA is, is in a situation where its antiquated business model, they have to be because there's going to be some people listening to this. And I've heard even some analysts listening to various shows around the country arguing about, well, this isn't what's best for the schools or best for the sport. We're beyond all of that now. It doesn't matter. It's, it's like it's like yelling at the weather. You can't. You can't change the weather. You just have to dress accordingly. And that's where the NCAA is right now. This is the weather forecast. It is what it is. To keep their business model afloat, they're going to have to figure out how to amend it to avoid losing in court. And the question is, therefore, how, how to dress in, in, in acknowledgement of that weather. How far to go? I would agree the initial proposal goes too far. Um, I actually liked the I liked what Rick Neuheisel suggested this week. And I know early in my radio career when he was at Washington, I liked to bust his balls about coming up with creative ways to commit minor NSA violations. Uh, like his famous um, excuse of, quote, chance encounter. Remember that? Okay. Mm -hmm. With a, how somehow the coach at Washington had a chance encounter with a recruit in Texas and in a quiet period. Mm -hmm. All right. But when we're talking like the stuff we we're talking about at Penn State and, and uh, Michigan State and the Big Ten recently, all of a sudden, Rick Neuheisel and his chance encounters don't seem to really matter all that much. So Neuheisel actually has a lot of salient opinions. I listen to the radio show he does on Sirius XM frequently. And, and so if, when I throw this out there, I want to give him proper attribution. I agree that if the school, if the coach is fired uh, or leaves, I, I'm, I'm totally open. I, I agree with that proposal. I agree with if your school is on NCAA probation. And I actually think that's an excellent incentive against breaking the rules. Because if your entire roster now is eligible to go somewhere else, schools are going to think twice about what's was is it really worth it to me to potentially crush my program two to five years in in, in what I do in turn and how far I put my roster back 
uh, in order to go from a five-win program to a nine-win program, from a eight- or nine-win program to a 10- or 11-win program. I actually think that's a pretty good deterrent and incentive against. But one of the suggestions that Neuheisel has is simply, if the school is willing to let the player go, what is the grounds by which the NCAA would still say you have to sit out a year? And, and one of the things he even suggested is when there's a coaching move, a firing or a coach quits, that there is a three or a six month cooling off period where a new coaching staff comes in and gets to win that recruit over or win that player over. And then at the end of that period, if they want to go, then they can go. And that, that's one way to avoid poaching, interference, tampering, things of that nature. And it gives the school and the coach a chance to sell that player, helps the player maybe prevent him from making a rash decision. And at the same time, his restrictions aren't being lessened at all because, you know, you still would have you would still be eligible to play the following season right away anyway if you still wanted to go what are your thoughts on that yeah i'm i'm down for that i think that that's fair i mean i I think really by and large the this i I wouldn't call it a token you're right something has to be done and i want to dive a little even further into the proposal from the big 12 can you can you remind me what a baccalaureate degree is is that like the first two years yeah the that that's the first two year a bachelor's what is it? Associates the first two years. Bachelor is four years. Um, and then grad school and it is, you know, whatever you you okay. do. After. All right. So baccalaureate basically means you got your bachelor's. All right. Yes. So, so the Big 12's proposal is a student athlete who transfers is not eligible for competition for the academic year following transfer unless... They have a bachelor's degree, which is basically what we're talking, what we have now with the grad transfer. The student athlete's head coach at the original institution resigned or was fired during or after the most recent season of competition, except that the student athlete is not immediately eligible at another institution at which the head coach is employed. So you can't follow the head coach to another school and have immediate mm-hmm. eligibility. Um, also, if sanctions have been imposed on the original institution that limit postseason competition in the student athlete sport. Um. So, so those, so those are all of the requirements, and the student athlete. Uh, they're also saying that if your coach has not left, coach hasn't been fired, your school's not on probation, you can still transfer, but not play right away. It without seeking permission from your school. So that means all these schools that have exceptions list on where these guys can transfer to, you don't don't have to do that anymore. And also, a first-time transfer who is not immediately eligible for competition, meaning they didn't have their degree um, and and everything I just talked about, receives a one-year extension to the five-year clock if it is necessary to ensure that the student athlete does not lose a year of competition due to transfer. So basically, if you've never transferred before, you don't have your degree, your coach wasn't fired, resigned, or your school's not on probation, you can transfer uh, if and not you lose a year of eligibility. So you could actually have six years to play four. I, I think these are all very fair concessions. I agree. I think it's an excellent plan. I think what's interesting, you know, I don't know... You know, right now about 40% of players and the transfer rate in college basketball is about 40%. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. 
So I, I don't see this impacting college basketball that much because you're at a certain lost leader, diminishing returns point where schools only have so many scholarships anyway. So if, if the transfer rate in basketball is already at 40%, it can't go much higher than that just because of, of, of scholarship availability. The question becomes, what impact does it have then, therefore, on football? And even then, you still have some point of diminishing returns because a school only has so many scholarships available every single year. And, you know, one of the examples I've heard given is Alabama loses everybody in their secondary this year uh, after from the 2018 or 2017 season. So if you can leave right away, what's to stop? And there's no restrictions on where you can go. What's to stop LSU? You know, LSU is known for recruiting great defensive backs. What's to stop Alabama from having you know, a couple of LSU's players transfer over there and start for them? Well, on the surface, the answer is nothing. But keep in mind, if they make that decision, it means some four or five star prospect that Alabama is recruiting right now that is that is committed or to go to that school that you could have there for three years as opposed to this transfer you might have for one. Right. That means you're going to have to let somebody go because, again, you only have so many scholarships. And you let him go, he might end up at LSU. And so you see what I'm saying? That I don't think this is as cut and dried. We we have to understand that, you know, these, these teams and rosters do not exist in a vacuum. So every move that is made... It has a butterfly effect. It's it's going to have an impact that if, uh, anybody you bring in, you have to. Someone yeah. has to go. It's zero sum. Yes, and so I don't I don't know that this is quite the, um, I don't know we'll quite see the level of wild wild west people are thinking if if we did that because of the numbers. Now would the transfer rate be higher than it is now? Well, I mean that's not even debatable. Of course it would. Okay. But would it be the 40% number like you see in college basketball? It's a lot. You can have, to me, you can have a lot more flexibility in guys moving. When you have one and dones, when you have, when, which we don't have in football. You have one and dones. We don't have those in football. When you have, when you're managing, what is it, 13 scholarships is what you have at Division One at the basketball level. Trying to do that when you don't have one and dones and you're managing 85 scholarships, it becomes a lot more complicated process because you're also even the best schools are, are probably offering three to four kids every recruiting cycle in football for every kid they sign. And so that means you'd give that roster spot to a transfer from another school. Those are three or four kids that you were recruiting for that spot that goes somewhere else. It's, so I don't think this is as cut and dried as Alabama just comes in and raids your roster. I don't think it's that simple. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? 
Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers, whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere, guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Maybe, no, they get, yeah. you know, maybe they get one of your guys, but I don't see them coming and taking like two to five of them. I, I, would, I would agree with you because at the end of the day with this, you still the, – the, the, the players that – that can transfer and they get the extra year added to their clock so now they've got six years to play for they're still going to have the same amount of eligibility so they won't lose the eligibility like they have in past times but you still have to sit out a year and sitting out a year for a number of these people number of these players and these athletes that's a pretty big deal to consider sitting out and being away from competition for a year. Yeah. Can you compete in the weight room? Sure. Can you practice some? Sure. But you can't play in games. So I would agree with you in football. I I just don't know that we're going to see it. And and I don't know that there are, there certainly aren't nearly the number of conduits for abuse as there were in the original, go ahead and transfer wherever you want and play right away without any exceptions. The bottom line of all this, John is, For those of us that are you and I's age and older, that just come from a different era of guys stay four years, you know, if you transfer, you have to sit out, yada, yada, yada. We have to recognize that the business model of the NCAA, and I I told you this is where I started changing my mind on things in recent years. I'm still not in favor of flat out paying the players only because, not because of, any any necessary moral objection i'm just not sure how you can financially make it feasible with title nine you know this is something i've wanted to ask jay billis for years what is the yeah every he always likes to point out how much money is made on basketball and football what 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 coaches there's something like 15 million dollars in buyout money for Mm -hmm. college football coaches this year some obscene number 50 or 60 million it was 60 million. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, Title IX is not going to let Michigan or Iowa pay um, the star, pay your, your uh, you know, pay Tyler Cook and pay um, Mo Wagner a different rate than what the women's rowing player makes. Won't let you do that. And so at that point, there isn't really enough money to pay all these scholarship players. And every one of these sports, since only since all but two of them, and at a handful of schools, hockey is a revenue sport. Most of those are in the Big Ten. The rest are in the in the East Coast. At a handful of schools, women's basketball is a revenue sport. At like three schools, wrestling is a revenue sport. And that's it. That's it. Everywhere else. Well, Steve, what about baseball? The Pac-12 does partial scholarships for baseball, by the way. All right. So the, the, because it's not a revenue sport. So there's really only two blanket revenue sports at every school that can even afford to even play those sports, and that's football and basketball. But those aren't the only two scholarship sports you have. you know. So the money's just simply not there to pay the women's rower the same money Jaron Jackson's going to get paid at Michigan State. I am in favor of letting them capitalize on their likeness. Well, Steve, some guys will be 
will be in demand for their autographs and some won't. So what? Some guys play, some guys don't. Some guys start, some guys don't. Well, Steve, schools will use you, uh, the, the, you know, boosters will say, hey, I'll buy your autograph for $100,000 you come to our school. Well, dude, they're doing it now. Do it, but, and, except it's under the table. Make it over the table. Let me tell you, let me tell you why boosters won't do that. Because that's taxable income to the kid. That's why they won't do it. That's that's really why Northwestern Union, the Northwestern unionizing idea, was so dumb. Like bed intruder, dumb. You so dumb for real. Okay. <laughs> you go if you go if, if the players go down that road, everything is income. Everything, training staff, income, every benefit they get, workouts, fit, strength and conditioning. Kid, go work at Planet Fitness. Because this is income. Your bo- books, room, board, everything's income now. And you're going to be taxed on all of that. That's a terrible deal for the players. And that's another reason why Booster Bubba, and that, that's why I would liber- I would make, I'd be much more libertarian about the NCAA rulebook. I'd have like four or five rules outside of zero tolerance policy for anything you do to be a threat a physical harm to anybody on campus gone and it's like your daddy wore a condom that night and you were never born gone we don't we don't need you we'll find somebody else have a nice life enjoy the poke gone gone no zero tolerance for anything you do to to cause violence to a classmate uh, or anybody on campus you're gone zero tolerance for compromising the academic mission of the school we we put ohio we blew up jim trestle and i'm not a jim trestle fan but we blew up Jim Trestle's Ohio State program for freaking tattoos while North Carolina got nothing for one of the worst academic scandals I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything, anything that compromises the mission of the academically of the institution, zero tolerance. So we have zero tolerance for violence on campus, zero tolerance for academics. Beyond that, I'd have like five rules and that's it. And and. If I find out that you tried to serve, because here's the thing, if I make it, if I make it, if, if NCAA bylaws allow you to capitalize on your likeness and it turns out that you're not reporting that income, oh, then the feds get involved and you've got to call the situation you have now with these Chuck Person and these coaches that were runners and they're not reporting that income because you're not, you're not itemizing uh, paid under the table for Bruce Bowen, hundred grand on your taxes, dude. Okay, and and if you're worried that the NCA can't police a sport, I can promise you the IRS can. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. can promise you that. Government always gets its money. So put all that above board. Someone wants to pay. If there's a Michigan State booster, I'm just mentioning them because I got them on my screen right now. If there's a Michigan State booster that wanted to pay Jaron Jackson a hundred thousand dollars for his autograph if he'd sign with Michigan State, now we know. And I can promise you, Jaron Jackson doesn't want him to pay him a hundred thousand dollars for that. Because that's taxable income. Because that hundred thousand dollars really going to be like a sixty-five thousand dollar payment once uh, once Uncle Sam gets their cut. You know what I'm saying, John? Mm-hmm. I'd make a lot more of this libertarian. Focus your energy on the stuff that truly corrupts the core of a campus and a sport: violence and the academic mission. Beyond that, get who cares? And it was easy to say these guys have a good deal when television contracts weren't in the hundreds of millions of dollars now it's not the same thing it's just not 
it, it the situation at TCU right now where one of their former star players from just a couple of years ago is suing Gary Patterson for making him come back too early from an injury mm-hmm. and costing him his stock in the NFL. The money that is at stake for these guys, the money these universities are raking in, it's just not the same business model. It wasn't when you and I were going to college in 1989 and 1993. It's just not. And so the rules, as a result, the rules of the game have changed, and the NCAA has to be, and they're trying to their credit on some level, they have to be more proactive in acknowledging that environment. Otherwise, they're in, the entire schema of NCAA sports will, will implode. I can't add anything better to that, so I won't even try. So that's a good place to put a stop to this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.